Are you ready to apply God's Word into your everyday life? Welcome to Ancient Mysteries Kingdom Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Rabbi Kurt Landry. Together we will unlock the ancient principles of the Bible that empower your faith and equip you to move into greater levels of kingdom authority. There's a reason for the rock tumbler that you're in. And if you'll understand it, you'll be at peace with it. You won't make any major decisions while you're in the rock tumbler. You'll go with what you know, stay focused on the purpose and the call, and not allow people, places, and circumstances to get you off your call or your direction. Amen? So you're, you're being warned. It's, you know, it's going to be, you know, things are, things are advancing. And anytime you see the advancement prophetically, like what you see with uh, Jared Kirshner and, and Greenblatt, the, uh, the proposal that they're bringing, which I am very relieved with the economic proposals that, and there's no land for peace, so let's give the Lord a hand clap for that. I know that we and several other ministries had a tremendous amount of pressure putting on the White House, no land for peace, and there is no land for peace. So prayer and action together by faith works. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap because it's big. And really what they're offering them coming from the Arab nations, uh, the Palestinians are going to have great pressure put on them because it's their people pressuring them, not Israel and the and, uh, United States. And uh, so when you reject a $50 billion gift uh, from your Arab nation, Arab neighbors, uh, it's going to have consequences. But what's happened is it is, is exposing the heart of the Palestinian Authority and Hezbollah and Hamas. They're not interested in peace. They're not interested in their people. And now they've made it very loud and clear and it's going to make it very difficult for the United Nations to be in a defensive posture because of what's happened even in the last two days and what will continue to happen over the next few days. And I believe that was the Trump administration's plan and it was a good one and it working. But now let's bring it down to your house. You need to know also that spiritually, whatever happens in Israel, it happens to Israel first, and then it happens to you. Amen? sooner you can learn that, that that is God's time clock, the easier it is to be able to understand with spiritual warfare what's coming against you. There are things that are being exposed where you're, you're making offers to people that are very generous and very pure of heart, and yet they're, they're not accepting the offers that are being made and one of the reasons is is they have really they do not have pure intentions in dealing with your corporation your business your family uh, or, or, your, or your relationship with them it's all at a different level but this is a time where the Lord is shining his light in the darkness so you can see what's really there so this is a good time to sit look and listen to the Holy Spirit and understand what's going on, what he's trying to show you. Amen? And it's going to be like that between now and before Rosh Hashanah at the end of September. So I want to just do a little teaching tonight about how the Spirit of the Lord 
works in the transformation process because the scripture says that when we are born again, we become a new creation. So that means that we need to be recreated. And what happens so many times is we want the Lord to improve on the old instead of killing the old and resurrecting the new. No one likes that message. People want to know how much Holy Spirit and power can I have in prosperity from the Lord and remain the same. It's like a trading floor. How, how little can I give up to get what God has for me? And it doesn't work like that. So we're going to go and we're going to look at a New Testament parable and an Old Testament parable. And I believe the two, if you'll look at both of them, you'll actually see the heart of the Father. So I want you to meditate on the heart of the Father. He's working through Yeshua and he's going to be working through Jeremiah. And, uh, but I want you to be, be, to be listening to the heart of the Father because it's all the same story, two different parables. This is a very famous parable. It's in John 13 and 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to his Father, having loved his own. Say to your neighbor, loved his own. That's one of the first lessons in the church. You have to love your own. You don't love all the people who are part of your apostolic network, your denomination, I only love those that speak in tongues. I, don't, I only love those who don't speak in tongues. If you're part of the body, you have to love your own. You are, hear me, thus saith the Lord, honor is the currency of heaven. You need to prefer one another. That's how the kingdom works. And then it goes on to say, he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them, speaking of the disciples, he loved them to the end. How many know that he had some pretty disappointing uh, situations with all 12 of them? Even down to the one who actually exposes himself this night and leaves for 30 pieces of silver. It says he loved them to the end. If you are in the fivefold ministry, you have to love the people the Lord sends you to the end. You cannot select against them. Even that, that worst person that comes manifesting that queen of heaven spirit, Leviathan, Jezebel, and a combination of behemoth and everything else under the sun, even things that we can't even pronounce, they're manifesting all of them. We have to separate the sin from the sinner and love the person and hate the sin. We cannot cross over the line and, and not love his own. Because when you do it, you do it at the cost of your authority when you go into the courts of heaven. Because the accuser will use it against you. Because don't we put on Yeshua when we go to the courts? And if Yeshua loved his own, then we must love our own. Verse 2, the supper being ended, the devil, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing the father had given this into his hands, 
and that he had come from God and was going to God. Verse 4, rose from the supper, laid aside his garment and towel, girded himself after that. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, wiping them with a towel which was girded to him and the Lord, the Lord, you are, and, and they said, Lord, you, uh, Lord, the Lord is washing our feet. Now, understand that in this culture, if you were having a supper like this, you would have had one of the servants, which would be like a houseman or uh, a busboy type situation, you would have had one of the servants who would have washed your guests' feet before they even came and sat down at the table. For sanitary reasons, but mostly for honor. Your feet are symbolic of the authority that you carry. That's why the Lord says things like every place your feet tread. You carry the DNA authority of who you are in your feet. It's not in your hands. The hands is where you release. Your feet is where you walk and take authority. So they would have normally had someone wash their feet. And now here's Yeshua. And understand, these are 12 guys. And they are with the highest ranking rabbi in all of Israel. And everybody knows it. Whether anybody received it or not, obviously the Pharisees and the Sadducees took it as a threat. But realistically, in the culture at that time, everyone knew that Yeshua ben David from Nazareth was the highest ranking, most powerful rabbi in the whole country. Not just because of the miracles, not just because of the signs and wonders, but because of the authority in which he discerned and spoke the word. He was a rabbi's rabbi. So here's the highest apostolic authority on earth. They're not calling it at that time. But here's the highest spiritual authority gets up from the table after he was the chosen vessel. He's the rabbi leading the Seder table. In Jewish culture, when the rabbi is leading the table, he is considered like a high priest. He is considered most holy unto the Lord. So here's this rabbi who is most holy unto the Lord and gets down and starts to wash the dirt off his disciples' feet. He is demonstrating them to them truly that if you're going to walk in kingdom authority, you will do it as a servant or you will not walk in it at all. If I can leave my place at the head table, I know that the, in the Gospels they call it the Last Supper. This is a Passover Seder. For him to leave that Passover Seder and to start to wash the disciples' feet in Jewish culture. And understand, these, these disciples have been celebrating Passover their whole life. And so had Yeshua. They knew what this meant. They knew that this whole table was remembering when they were once slaved in Egypt and how the Lord delivered them to become a nation. And when the high priest of that table gets on his knees and starts to wash the feet, you can imagine how incredibly powerful 
and impacting this is because he knows that this is the, his last Passover and he will become the Passover lamb that is slain before the foundations of the earth. He is teaching them humidity, humility, selflessness, and service, and honor is the key in the kingdom. Verse 6, And then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. The word the Lord gave Lana and the word the Lord gave me, if we could sum it up prophetically from down under to here, from Zion to Australia, is this. Will you give the Lord permission? He doesn't need it. But will you come in agreement to trust him to do some things this summer in your life? Will you give him permission to deceive you? Will you give him permission to be able to do something with you and you not understand it, but you simply with childlike faith trust him to do what he's going to do without him having to reveal it revelatory or through a prophetic word, a wisdom or knowledge, will you, will, you, will, he, will you allow him to blindfold you and walk you through a narrow place? Will you trust the Lord? Because that's what he's doing. And this is really hard on the prophets because we like to know what he's doing. But what he's doing right now, he's not revealing even to his prophets. And the reason he's not revealing it is because the prophets don't know when to keep their mouth shut. We speak too much. We give away. I'm talking to me and all of you and all the prophets that are watching me and all the prophets from the nation. This is a time where you need to hold your, car, your kingdom cards close to your chest because the Lord is dealing with the enemy. He is not only draining the swamp in Washington, D.C., he is draining the swamp in the, in the apostolic kingdom of God. And you're going to have to trust him. And you don't want to get like Peter and start responding back. Peter would have been really better off in this situation if he would have kept his mouth shut. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. The Lord's getting ready to do something in your life. You don't want to say never do that. That makes you the Lord. But remember what he said now. He said he loved them all, even Peter. And I'm going to divert from my message for a, for, a, for a minute. In the law of first mention, if you notice, in the rest of the Gospels, when Peter is mentioned, he is always mentioned first. And that is a, that is a place of honor. So the Lord honored him despite the fact that he spoke out of turn and denied him. That should encourage you and it encourages me. Jesus answered him and said, If I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And then this is an interesting response from Yeshua. And Yeshua said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, 
but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Speaking of Judas. Why was he saying to them, you only need your feet washed? Because they had been with him for over three years and he had cleansed them in impartation, the word of God. He prayed for them. He lived with them. He ate with them. He Shabbat with them. He had feasts with him. He says, no, all you need to be washed is your feet from the dirt of the journey you just came from this day. Give us this day our daily bread. He says, you've already got so much impartation in your account. I just need to wash your feet and you need to wash each other's feet so that when you go, you don't have to reinvent. You don't have to immerse the whole situation. Just keep your feet clean. Don't carry the dirt from that place to this place. Don't carry the offense from that place to this place. Don't carry the success from that place to this place. Everything you do, keep your feet clean. Start fresh. For the Lord's mercies are new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. Verse 12. So when he washed their feet, taking his garment, he sat down and he said to them, Do you not know? I mean, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Servant leadership. Not just in the Bible. Corporations teach it. I ran into a friend of ours the other day. He's the CEO uh, out at the club now. New, and he was talking about that's the model that he follows. Every job that's here in this building, Christy and I have done. And you haven't seen it. And Stephen made fun of me because the other last week when I had back problems, and I said to you all, and I made the joke, I said, you know I don't do manual labor. He thought that was hilarious. And I don't do much manual labor anymore because I stay focused on the studies and the things that I'm called to do with what's on my plate now. But when this place first started, that parking lot that's out there and that gravel that you see, which is soon going to be uh, asphalt, there they started. There's, yeah, praise God, it only took eight million years, but... For all of you who like to wear pumps, give a hand clap. <laughs> but the tractor that helped spread all that gravel and level that out, I drove that tractor for about 12 hours. And we used to clean toilets. And all the other things. And to be honest with you, life was much simpler then. And life was actually easier. Because now the responsibilities we have are so much larger and it affects so many people. And that's why I don't do manual labor, I, occasionally, but at my home. But the reason I don't do it anymore is because 
I need to be in the spirit because the next phone call and the words I speak are going to affect nations. And that puts the fear of the Lord into that phone call. Are you hearing me? You don't get there overnight. But if you don't learn how to protect the asset of the Holy Spirit in your life and protect your ability to hear and know what God is doing, nobody else is going to do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. Verse 16, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor he is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you know that when you deal with immature Christians who misuse you in their immaturity, even though they've walked with the Lord 40 years, they're still baby Christians because they've never applied discipleship. They're saved, but they've never done the work to change their character or their personalities or the way they interact. And do you know that when you interact with them as a mature believer, and you choose to deal with them as a servant, that you are building the kingdom, but you are also protecting your own gifts and your own account. If you're a mature believer, you cannot afford to get sideways, judgmental, or critical with an immature Christian. Even though they may have been saved longer than you, and they may actually be in a higher level of authority than you. How many know that there's actually immature Christians that don't understand the world, or the word leading? And when you interact with them, you have to interact with them at the level that they're at now. You can't wish it, judge it. You either make a decision. If God has called you to intersect with them, then you have to intersect with where they are. The best parable I can think of it's kind of like you're a refueler. That's what my dad did in the service. He was one of those guys that operated the boom in the front during the Korean War. But what happened is the refueler has to hit a speed that is comfortable for the jet that it's refueling. And if the jet and the refueler don't meet at the same speed, then there will not be a successful exchange of fuel. And ministry is the same way. There has to be a place. Can the B, I, I think it's, I can't remember the number, so I won't say it. But can the refueler fly faster? Absolutely. Can the jet fly faster? Oh, absolutely. But there is a place where it is safe for both the jet and the refueler to meet for the exchange of power. And what happens is sometimes what you're carrying, you're trying to refuel a Cessna. And all you're going to do is crash the refueler. You need to leave that Cessna alone and let it go find a small airport like we have on Monkey Island out here and get refueled on the ground. Hello. That was worth the price of admission right there. Because a lot of ministries want to try to refuel and network 
with ministries that are not flying at the same altitude or the same speed, and I've watched it for 30 years, it never works. Just helping anybody tonight. Hallelujah. So no servant is greater than the master. We all have mentors. We all have people we look up to. But our greatest mentor is Rabbi Yeshua. He's the greatest. He's God incarnate on earth. He is without sin. What a beautiful gift from God to send his only begotten son. Not just to shed his blood and save us so our name is in the book and we're not going to hell. Praise God for that. But came and then allowed us to be able to partake of his Holy Spirit. And to leave his word. The creator left his spirit and his instruction so that we can live like him. What a gift. What a gift. And yet, we have to be encouraged to spend more time in the word. And we have to be encouraged to draw nigh unto God. So now we're going to go into another parable. We're going to go to Jeremiah. I'm not going into all of this parable. I just want to go enough because we're on a journey. And I'm really talking about the journey this summer. This obviously has eternal it's a message. This isn't ending this summer. But I'm trying to share with you a now word what God is doing with you today. What you've been going through since Passover. Okay? Jeremiah 18, 1 and 2. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Step number one, the prophet had to go. Why would a spiritual man go to a ceramic shop? Because the Lord said, I'm going to teach you something. The Lord speaking to Jeremiah, but the Lord is also speaking to Israel, and the Lord is also speaking to all those who will call on the name of the Lord who are begrafted into Israel. He's speaking to all of us. He's even speaking to the unsaved, because this parable, if you're honest, and I'm going to explain it to you in the Hebrew. When you, when you look at this, you'll see evidence of this, particularly in other people's lives, and the hardest will be to see it in your own life. Okay? Verse 3. So Jeremiah said, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. So he walks in, and he's spinning on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. We'll talk more about that later. It was marred in the hand of the potter. So can I say this? It was marred and the mar was not seen. The mar was felt. If you read commentaries from the rabbis on this, they'll say it looked 
perfectly fine, but it felt wrong to the master. So part of the lesson is for you prophets is that it's not how it, you appear, it's how you feel in the hand of God when you're using your gift. It's not just that the content is right. It's not just that you're anointed. It's just how are you delivering it? Does it feel like the Father or does it feel like you? That was for my prophets. Have you experienced roadblocks to receiving spiritual direction? We've heard from many believers who struggle to hear God's voice and direction for their lives. Is this your struggle too? Then you need a fresh perspective of God's Word that connects you to your spiritual roots and leads you to your destiny. You can move forward in faith once your roots are firmly planted in your identity in Christ, but you have to know where to start. Get the complete guide to understanding the Jewish roots of Christianity. You can find it at clmmin.com forward slash faith. That's clmmin.com forward slash f-a-i-t-h. Break through the roadblocks that are keeping you from your blessings and destiny. But when nonprofits prophesy it's for you as well when you're speaking a word of the Lord to someone does it feel like the father or does it feel like your agenda so it was marred in the hand of the potter so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make can I say something very difficult there are things that come from heaven to earth that are spinning on God's wheel and in the process of making them, they become marred and they have to be made into a different vessel. So when the Lord is shaping you and gives you a gift and he's spinning a gift on the wheel, you want to stay in the spirit during that season of time, which you're in right now. All of you that have come through the, the feast with us, you're, you're on the wheel right now. Don't allow the enemy to cause you to get off track and get marred. Just because the vessel was prophesied doesn't mean you get it unless you cooperate with the hand of the Lord. That's hard, but that's what this is saying. Jeremiah 18.5 then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? It's a question. He has covenant with Israel. He's in covenant with Israel to stand with Israel eternally. It's an eternal covenant. But to what degree the vessel is, that's going to be determined on how the clay responds to the potter. See, there's golden vessels, there's silver vessels, there's vessels of clay, there's vessels with jewels, there's wooden vessels, and they're all different, but this is an allegorical parable speaking to the priesthood, and in the priesthood, only gold is taken into the Holy of Holies. And I'm speaking of priestly golden vessels. I'm not talking about the literal laver are you hearing what I'm saying? It costs to be used of God in the highest level of authority. Look as this clay is in the potter's hand. 
so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. So number one, Jeremiah had to go visit the father's, the potter's house. And the other lesson was that, which I'm saying, perhaps he can reject the clay if it's not, not of high quality. Well, I have great faith. Praise God. Abraham, it was considered a friend of God because of great faith. But even Abraham had some issues with integrity. And when he did, like lying about his wife and some of the other issues, it created problems for him and others. Great problems. Just like David. The quality of the clay determines how much the Lord can overlay with his glory. If you go into uh, Jeremiah 18.4 where it says marred, the way that translates out in the Hebrew is as it represents the same Hebrew word used in the linen sash in Jeremiah 13.7 where he was talking about that sash. It's the same word where it is translated out ruined. The clay was not suitable for the potter's design. It seemed good, but only the potter knows. So what do we do with this? If we're marred clay, can we be restored? If we have missed opportunities in God's calling, if God has called us, he prophesied over us, and we fell and we missed it, we got off track, how do we get restored? How do we get back on track to have peace with the journey that God has given us? And that's where I'm going to switch gears to right now. But you got that you understand that without restoration, it's sad because I, I minister to people and I watch them and they're hanging on a prophetic word they got 15 years ago and it's never going to happen because they never changed the quality or integrity of their clay to match up to what they said they were going to get the blessing for. How can the Lord bless you with millions of dollars when you're not faithful with thousands? It's not going to happen. How can the Lord bless you with authority over thousands of people when you misuse five? So I'm going to close this message with the restoration. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. What paths? He's going to direct my path. He's going to open this door, and I'm going to walk into this office, and then this is going to happen. That is part of the paths. But the paths he's really looking for, I want you to make notes on this. He's looking for the paths of the fruit of self-control. In Galatians 5, he talks about fruit. Love, peace, joy, long-suffering, temperance, kindness. And then there's this one, self-control. Self-control is a free will choice. And a free will choice determines what quality of clay you have. Well, I'll be higher quality clay when I quit having those evil thoughts. Well, kind of doubt that that's ever going to happen. You're going to probably have evil thoughts to the day Jesus comes back. 
You can limit them if you're not feeding the evil thoughts more evil. But to be totally free from those thoughts is going to be difficult. It's how you respond to the thoughts that are important. And that's called self-control. So I want to give you six paths when it says the Lord will direct your path. And I want you to write these down. The first path is you need to be a master of your own moods. You need to master your moods. Number two, you need to watch your words. See, you can have really bad thoughts and not engage them and they'll go away. But once you put it to words, once you've said something, it's pretty hard to get it undone. Third, you need to put a restraint on your reactions. If you're angry with somebody and you want to call them on the phone and give them an earful of what you think, it will be even better if you wait till tomorrow. It's better not to speak in the heat of the moment. Self-control. It's better to walk away and not speak and ask somebody else to speak on your behalf. Christy and I do that all the time with the airlines. If I've had a long trip and I know and it's not going well and we have to negotiate whether or not we're going to spend the night, go on another plane and they're going to give us one of the excuses I let her go up to the counter because she has more self-control with the airlines than I do. So in order to protect the ministry, she goes to the counter. I'm very serious. I'm over a million miler, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard, I, I, I don't need them to tell me what they're going to tell me. I can speak the word, they could stand quiet and I'll give them the excuse. And the frustration I have is a lot of times it's bogus. They're not delivering the product that they're promising. So I have her go up so that we don't have to have double jeopardy and pay the price for the sin that I would engage in when I tell them what I think of them. And that's one of the penalties of being on television is that usually someone will come up after I said something Didn't I see you with Ron Phillips or Perry Stone on TBN? Yes, that was me. (laughs) No, that was my twin brother. Stick to a schedule. If you're going to have self-control, you need to stick to a schedule that works for you. You need to have a schedule that works for your time, task, and activity of where you are today in this season. For those of you that are closer to my age, and particularly you type A business people, which are many, you cannot try to walk in a schedule that you did when you were 40. And you could eat fried food at 10 o'clock at night. If you think what I'm telling you isn't true, tonight, 
go get some fried chicken from Kentucky Fried Chicken and take the biscuit and put it in that fake gravy that they have and eat as much of it as you can. And about two o'clock in the morning, you'll be calling on the name of Jesus. Or you'll be having your wife call the emergency room because you have every symptom of a heart attack. And all it is is heartburn. You can't do it anymore. You need to set a schedule that is successful for the time that you're in now. You need more sleep. You need to take better care of your health. You need to manage your money more wisely. Self-control number five. The better stewards you are of your finances, the more the Lord will trust you with finances. And number six is you need to maintain a good health. It's important to God, and it's important to you, and it's important to your ministry and your family. You cannot deliver what you're called to deliver if you're in poor health. So when the Lord says, and he shall direct your paths, he's directing you to self-control into these six paths so that you can have a higher quality of life, and then he's trusted you to be a higher level in the, as a vessel. Now, I'm going to get ready to close this message, and we're going to release a fresh start for you to be able to say, Lord, I need to be that vessel you called me to be that is written in my books in heaven. Amen? Number one, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking onto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? He is the author and finisher. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. Jesus is sitting down. What that means is he's not getting up. Don't pray and ask him to get up and fix your problem. He fixed it 2,000 years ago on the cross. He sat down, go into the courts and claim it now. You don't have to beg him for it. He already's done it. You need to go into the word, put him into remembrance, go into the courts of heaven, claim it, believe it, receive it, and then walk in it. Amen? Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He said in the parable at the Last Supper at the Passover, he loved them all and he loved them all to the end. You need to look at your neighbor and says, he, say he loves you. You need to look at your neighbor and say, I love you. All right. I'm going to have Joellen come up on the keyboard. And if you would stand. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Understanding when the Lord gave this word to Jeremiah, there was no blood of Jesus. There was no way to redeem the clay. 
You need to look at your neighbor and say, thank God for the blood of Jesus. I asked uh, Piper to, this isn't in your notes, but it's so applicable. And it's 2 Timothy 2.9, but this is out of the Passion Edition. And so applicable because this is Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. So I want to minister this to you as if Paul was speaking to you. Paul would say to you tonight, he says, now you've, you've heard from your father. And the father brought you here tonight to correct your path and your journey so that you would recover all that has been stolen in regards to the vessel that you have become. Many of you are angry, frustrated, oppressed, Because your vision of who you've been called to be doesn't line up with the vessel you are today. You lack authority. You lack respect. And you find yourself fighting with others because you're trying to put a demand on them to respect you at the vessel that you were called to. But you're in a season where your vessel is not where it should be. Your vessel's been marred. And nobody wants to point it out and nobody wants to admit it. The Lord's not asking you to point it out or admit it. The Lord is asking you. He's speaking to you tonight. I need to be able to take you into the courts of heaven and into ministry at higher levels if you allow me to repair the vessel. That's why the Lord says, I resist the proud. The vessel that says it's not marred, the Lord's not going to fix. The Lord only has a responsibility to fix the vessel that says, I'm marred and I ask you to repair this vessel. So this is what Paul told Timothy in regards to this subject. But the firm foundation of God has written... In these two inscriptions, the Lord God recognizes those who are truly His. The Lord never put the clay down. He didn't throw the clay out. His hand never was removed from the clay. He just reshaped it. And you're going to have to trust him to reshape you in this season. You're going to have to trust him that the shape that you're in spiritually and physically is not up to where he wants to take you into exponential greatness with God. That's what this message is all about. And it's about being willing to be willing to say, Lord, you recognize me, but I don't recognize me. Many see you and the potential that you have, but you don't see the potential. And everyone who worships the name of the Lord Jesus 
must forsake his wickedness. That word wickedness in the Hebrew means evil thoughts that are contrary to God's thoughts. So before we get started, you need to be able to speak to the Lord, say, I am willing to forsake my self-condemning thoughts that have come against what you have called me to be. So go ahead, let's speak to the Lord right now. Say, Father God, any self-condemning thoughts that I have spoken out against myself, I ask you to remove them. And Lord, we come into the courts of heaven and we ask that these words be removed now and erased from our books by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. Now he goes on to say, in a place you, f you find many kinds of containers and tableware and many different uses. Speaking of vessels, in a place, in a congregation, you will find wooden vessels, clay vessels, silver vessels, and golden vessels. Some are beautiful inlaid with gold or with silver, and some are made with wood or earthenware, and some of them are used for banquets, special occasions, and some for everyday use. But you, Timothy, must not see your life and ministry this way. Your life and ministry must not be disgraced, for you are to be a pure container of Christ and dedicated to the honorable purposes of your master. Prepared for every good work that is given you to do. He says to Timothy, run fast as you can from all ambitions, lust of the youth. Chase after all that is pure. Father God, we hear this word and we break all soul ties with the lust of our youth, self-ambitions, chasing after position and money. In Yeshua's name. So now we're cutting it off because all those things give us a false identity. Whatever builds up your faith and deepens your love must become your holy pursuit and live at peace with all those who worship our Lord Jesus with pure hearts. You need to be at peace with your brothers and sisters in this house. There is a major witchcraft attack across the world coming against marriages, churches, and synagogues to bring division. Come out of agreement with it. Come out of agreement with it. Say, I come out of agreement with it. I forgive myself and I forgive all those 
in my house that I'm angry with, that I've judged, misjudged, and I choose to walk free. I will stay away from all foolish arguments of the immature. For these disputes will only generate more conflict. So when someone comes to you, we're not praying anymore, sorry, let's cut on the prayer. Now we're going to instruction. We'll be back to the prayer in just one moment after this instruction break. I learned this from Kenneth Hagin. I didn't. Someone comes up and wants to tell you something negative about somebody. You need to be able to say, oh, I see you have a burden for them. Let's pray. And immediately shut it down. For a true servant of the Lord will not be argumentative. Do not sow seeds of division. It mars your vessel. But be gentle toward all, skilled in helping others see the truth, having great patience toward the immature. Can I add this? Don't cast your spiritual pearls before the immature. They're never going to get it. Just love them. Let them see the fruit. You don't have to tell them about the fruit. When you feel strong that you need to go talk to somebody, don't do it until you pray two days for them first. Until you have good two or three hours of prayer for that person, don't open your mouth because you're going to say something that's going to mar your vessel. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm taking out an extended warranty on my vessel. It's called discernment and self-control. And praise God, Jesus gave me an extended warranty that Jeremiah didn't have. This is good news. Then with meekness, you'll be able to carefully enlighten those who argue with you so they can see God's gracious gift of repentance being brought to the truth. This will cause them to rediscover themselves and escape from the snare of Satan that has caught them in his trap so that they will carry out his purpose. Amen. Take a deep breath. Say, Lord, I receive a new vessel repaired not marred. Lord, start pouring in your holy oil now. Thank you, Lord, for this redemptive message tonight. And we ask as a congregation, give us peace, shalom, for our journey together and with you. Shalom Aleichem. 
Thank you for listening to Ancient Mysteries Kingdom Principle Podcast. Like what you heard? Then visit us at kurtlandry.com for free resources that will empower your faith to walk in greater levels of kingdom authority. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Kurt Landry Ministries. See you next week.